You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. I'm from Ontario. That's where I was born. Ontario is uh, known for its lakes. Lots of lakes there. I mean, they have the Great Lakes there, but there's lots of lakes there. And one of the things I've always liked... Uh, I've always really liked what are called bathymetric maps of lakes. They're, uh, they're apparently, they're, that's what I, Google told me they're called. Uh, maps that tell you the three dimensions of the lake, like how deep it goes. I think that's really neat. I, I remember being a kid and, and going fishing, and uh, they would have the fish finder, you know, for those people who don't know how to find fish, they would use the little tool. I don't know enough about fishing to really criticize, but... Um, but you would use this, and it would, it would show the peaks and the valleys. It would show how the water and the depth was moving. I always found that fascinating, sitting there as a child, just watching that little thing go beep, 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 and you would see fish, but you would see how deep it would get. And I, I, uh, I, I came out here, and I, I quickly, on my way, understanding that I was coming to Kelowna, I'm like, I got to know what's the deepest part of Lake Okanagan. And it turns out that the deepest part is up uh, north, a little bit closer to Vernon. And it's really... Uh, it's a pretty cool thing when you start to look at the, the bathymetric measurements of a lake. There's actually a little foam thing. Maybe if I could get one. I don't know if we have any extras. I could put it on here so we don't hear all the sound of the winds. But uh, I, the thing about lakes is that when it comes to the depth of a lake, you, uh, you, can, you can only see so far depending on how the sun is fitting through, how the sun is going through the, the muddiness of the waters. And uh, at the, a lake, when you're looking at it, it's all flat, but there are different measurements. You got that there for me? Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate you so much, man. Here we go. Just give me a moment here. Thread the needle. Okay. Hey, there we go. All right. Well, um, it's really interesting because the lake is all flat, but there is different depths. And I'm always interested in where the drop-offs are. And, uh, and, and, and if the water is really muddy, you can't see very far. In fact, I don't really like to go swimming in water that, like, if I'm knee-deep and I can't see my feet. It just sounds yucky and gross to me. It just not interested. But there's these beautiful lakes that are up higher in the mountains. I don't know if you've seen these. I've only seen them on the Internet because I'm too lazy to climb uh, mountain, but it, it, on the internet, you can see these beautiful pictures of these lakes that are so transparent. The water is so clear that you can see to the bottom 30 feet so clearly every detail of, of what's going on there at the bottom of the lake. And it's, and it's interesting. And, and today we are going to be, we're going to be talking about depth. We're going to be talking about going deeper in our discipleship. But before we get too far, the question I had to, I was confronted with myself as I looked at God's word this week is the question of, is my heart muddy and messy, or is it transparent before the Lord? Is my heart muddy and messy? Am I willing really to let the Lord show me how deep I really am, or better yet, how shallow I really am? Or am I going to let my heart be transparent before him, allow him to show what's really at the bottom, what's really going on here? And I, I believe that God has something further for us to go, every single one of us, even if you've been on this Christian walk for a long time or just a few days. No matter what, God is calling us deeper and deeper. And before we get far into God's word, I just want to ask that we would actually pray one more time, just offering up our lives, offering up every area of our life and saying, Lord, may my heart be transparent for you today. Let's, let's just pray that, Lord. 
The reality is we know you are calling us deeper. We know that you are calling us as a church, as individuals, as families, parents, and kids, workers. You are calling us to deeper discipleship, a deeper following of you. And Lord, we long to go deeper in our heart of hearts, but sometimes we don't want to offer up every area of our lives. Sometimes we corner and hide and we pretend that there's something that you can't have. But Lord, you are asking us to put it all on the table today. You're asking us to let our hearts be transparent before you. And maybe there's areas of our lives that we've been holding back, that we've been clenching in our fists. Oh Lord, would you release that fist in our hand today, that we might offer up every area of our lives, every area. Things, Lord, maybe today are going to be revealed in our hearts that we have been holding on to. We ask that your Holy Spirit would convict, but it would comfort, it would guide us that we would be more Christ-like by coming under your word today, look less like the world and look more like Jesus. Would you do that in our lives? We offer up our lives to you today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, <clears throat> I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you would join me in, in agreeing that I think if we look at the modern North American church and we compare it to the uh, disciples as we find them in scripture, that we probably have a, we have a very shallow version of Christianity. We have a very shallow version of Christianity in North America. There's not much depth to it. And, 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 and the reason why that has happened, I think, is, is partly an attraction to the world and an attraction to idols for sure. But I think sometimes we've boiled down uh, the gospel. We've boiled down following Jesus into maybe two simple steps or, or, or a weekend class. But what we see in scripture is we see Jesus is journeying with his disciples for a couple of years and he's, he's pouring into them. He's training them. This isn't something that just happens overnight. It's something that grows with time. And the disciples, even as Jesus left them on the earth, the, the men they became with time and through trial, through ministry and years and years, they changed, and we are to grow. We are to continue to grow in discipleship. We are to continue to grow. In that time that he was de teaching these men, he was discipling them further and further from the men they were and closer and closer to men after his heart. You've got to think about the type of guys he had around him, fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot. These guys went from being men known for their career and their passions to being men known for their heart after Jesus being called apostles, becoming preachers who taught, uh, taught the gospel and, and changed lives. He taught them to heal. He taught them to serve. They understood theological truth that were so deep they understood what it truly meant to worship these men and women they lived their lives fully for the kingdom and for some of them they lived their life to the point of death for Jesus' name now compare that fervent deep dedicated discipleship we see in the lives of those who knew Jesus personally and compare that to the modern understanding of what we see in Christianity today and we'll see that there's a difference there's something to be had. There's something more for us to, be ha to have today. There's something more for us to learn. There's some furtherness uh, that we can go. And I know, I know there's a lot going on in the world. I know that between the news and social media, the fires, everything, that there's a lot of volume out there. It's really loud. It's really loud what's going on in the world. And, and, and I would say that there's no greater time right now 
There's no greater time than right now for us to go further and deeper in our commitment to the cause and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is right now and every day that our discipleship is being tested. Some of us are seeing what's happening in Afghanistan and saying, one day I will be asked to, to answer for my faith. And yes, maybe that will be the truth similar to what's happening in Afghanistan. But every day we are tested and tempted. Every day we are t- tried to ask in, in, in different temptations, in different ways to deny the name of Jesus Christ. And it is now that we need to have a deeper discipleship. Not a one day, not a later, but today. And the passage we're going to look at is Luke 17, 1 to 10. And I, I almost kind of described it as a bunch of Jesus's mic drop sermon moments in one little time. Mic drop sermon moments, little things he said that are just that would just quiet the room and quiet the crowd. Would you look with me in Luke chapter 17? We're going to look at some of these, and we're going to see how Jesus is telling us to go deeper and further. Luke chapter 17, verse 1, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. Now, some of these teachings you might be familiar with because, like I said, Jesus has taught these things before to his disciples, even within the Gospel of Luke. But we see these things being expanded upon some of these uh, short focuses that he's giving here but what what jesus is doing is he's inviting us to relook at these and put them all together and ask ourselves do we really understand how deep he's calling us because i think some of us when we when we hear these things we go oh i've heard a sermon on this and i've done this oh i've heard a sermon on that one. Oh, i've heard the sermon about forgiveness okay all right well yeah i know where this is going i think i'll just i'll wait for next week when uh, maybe something new shows up But Jesus is revisiting this with his disciples because he says there's something further. There's some deeper way we can go. There's some deeper following that we have. You know, if you if you go out in a boat and you have a anchor with you and you only have 20 feet of rope on the anchor and you throw it in 30 feet deep of water, you still float around, don't you? You're you're not you're not going to go. You're not going to be anchored anywhere. If we don't let the rope go far enough, if the rope isn't long enough, you won't be anchored. Well, I'm afraid that I've, I've been guilty of this, and I'm, I want to ask us that we be cautious not to have a short rope today, that we would let ourselves be anchored in the depths of where God's word is actually taking us, that we might be willing to see what God really is calling for us, because I think it's to go deeper. And sometimes when we return to the passage, and I, I, I know that some of you will agree with me, sometimes when we return to a passage, even one we've studied before, we find that it takes us to a new depth. And I'm, 
I, I was taken to a new depth this week as I looked at this passage, and I pray that you would be as well. So we're going to look at four areas of new depth in our discipleship, four areas of growth. The first is leadership, the second is forgiveness, the third is faith, and the fourth is service. Let's look at what Jesus says about leadership. The first thing he says is there will always be temptation. He's just stating a fact. There will always be temptation. That's just a reality for all of us. There will always be temptation. This is one of the earliest things we learn in life and in our Christianity, in our walk. There will always be temptations. And we must know and be prepared for the reality of facing temptation. But Jesus wants to take us further. Anytime you see the word but in scripture, B-U-T, not two T's, just one T, all right? When you see the word but in scripture, you got to pay attention because that word matters. Because Jesus wants to go, hey, you think this is one thing? Let's go further. What does he say? But woe to the one through whom they come. He doesn't want us to just focus on just facing temptation. He also wants us to go further and be careful about offering temptation to others. Jesus is not stopping us and saying, just spend the rest of your Christian walk focusing on facing temptation. You see, that's that's what I I used to tell the teens, um, that that's a dodgeball Christianity. Dodgeball Christianity is when you're just waiting for the sins to come and you're, oh, I'm going to avoid that one. Oh, don't want to get hit. We played a lot of dodgeball in youth, so it worked for them. If you haven't played dodgeball in a while, maybe we should organize something like that. But dodgeball Christianity, that's actually not the, the, that's the shallow end of our faith. The shallow end of our faith is just, just worrying about avoiding sin and avoiding temptation. But furthermore, Jesus says, let's be concerned about even those around us and how we cause those around us to, to sin. This word woe, it really means cursed, cursed be the one who causes others to be tempted. That's what Jesus says. That's next level. This is no longer a religion of just personal responsibility, of, of, of dodgeball Christianity. This is not a faith of individuality where you can just have a personal, individualistic relationship with Jesus. No, we are part of community. Jesus is saying we don't stop at just avoiding sin and trying to be good our, all our lives. We must go deeper into having a sober responsibility for others. We must take responsibility for others. This is so important. I, I, um, one of the wonderful things that I get to do in, in my calling and role here is I get to meet with a lot of people and just get to know their stories and, and ask them questions about how their relationship with God is going. And one of my favorite questions to ask people is, who are you discipling and who is discipling you? Just those two questions. Who are you discipling and who is discipling you? It's, it's really this reality that we see in Scripture that there's relationships. We have horizontal relationships with other believers around us. Who's helping you fight and face temptation? And who are you helping fight and face temptation? And this is why we're, we're getting on to, we're already inviting you to get into groups. We're inviting you now because you need to be in groups. You need to be in community. You need to be in relationships where you're discipling someone and someone's discipling you. We're going after that in our groups. Mutual discipleship. These are not just um, social clubs where we, you know, have a nice snack and hang out and just chat about the weather. No, we are going after real authentic life change and vulnerability through understanding that this world is filled with temptation. How do we fight it ourselves and how do we help others? And Jesus didn't care, uh, didn't want this sweet little calm little idea. He, he doesn't, this isn't a lighthearted thing. Look at verse two. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. Underline that word better. It would be better. Better for him 
If a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. This word millstone, um, it, in some translations, is called an ass stone. It's, it's a stone so large that a donkey would have to pull it. It's not a small stone that you just use for milling things. It's such a large stone you would need a full donkey, way too big for a person, a man, to push or hold or, or pull. You needed a donkey. It's that large. Now, something like that wrapped around your neck, okay? We're, we're not talking talking like Flava Flav's clock-sized thing around your neck. We are, you don't need to Google who that is, trust me. Um, but we're talking about a millstone. This is a massive, like, oh, monster truck-sized tire stone around your neck. You get something like that around you, you're not going for a light little dip in the water. <laughs> you are going to the bottom. <laughs> you have that wrapped around your neck, you are going straight to the bottom. This is not about a lighthearted dive. Jesus is literally saying and talking about drowning. He's saying that, that the seriousness that we should take when it comes to misleading others should be a seriousness of matter of life and death. Life and death. He's challenging his disciples and he's asking them, he's saying, would you in your heart of hearts rather lead someone into temptation or drown? Which one would you choose? Because Jesus wants those who follow him. And Jesus lived a life where he said it would be better to drown. Better to drown than to mislead someone to temptation. That's deep. That's far. That's beholding the glory of God and hating sin so much that you would prefer drowning. And honestly, and I ask myself this question, I ask you this question. Would you rather lead someone to temptation or drown? And in my heart of hearts, I have to be honest, and I think if you are with me, then you can say that you need to go deeper in this area, in this area of leadership of others, in this area of seriousness about sin, in this area of caring for others. We need to be honest and cautious, careful and reverent of God and hating of sin so much that drowning sounds preferable over misleading someone and tempting them into sin. Now, some of you may think, I'm blowing this out of proportion, or, or how do we know that Jesus is meant to be the seriousness seriously? Because we, but we know this. We know Jesus was being seriously because the drive that took him to the cross is the kind of drive we are seeing here. This is the kind of understanding that led fishermen to be apostles and martyrs for their faith. Jesus, he cherished you. He cherished his disciples. He cherishes us so much that he lived a perfect life for our sake. He preferred death over succumbing to sin. He preferred death over misleading others. Jesus died on a literal cross, and the apostles risked their literal lives. Disciples have died literal deaths. This is not just a figurative language. This is a deep and dark, or deep, deep understanding of the darkness of sin and a cherishing of God's people and a cherishing of how holy God is. Now, over the past few chapters before, Jesus has been teaching his disciples, and then he's been correcting the Pharisees. He's been teaching the disciples, correcting the Pharisees. And, and we know a little bit about the Pharisees and how they were just focused on staying good. They were focused on facing temptation. But if you stop in this life, just like the Pharisees were, of avoiding temptation only as the, as the sole idea of your religiosity, if you focus only on staying clean and staying pure, what happened to the Pharisees will happen to us. They ended up being far from people. They ended up being far from the heart of God because they were just so adamantly seeking purity that they lost a love for people. They lost a love for leading people away from sin. Jesus, 
He did. He fought temptation and he won temptation, but he didn't make it cause him to stay distant from people. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, comes down into the earth, comes and sees us, and he goes after sinners. And he faces temptation and he leads them away. Because this is not a call to retreat from leadership. It's an invite to treat leadership seriously. It's an invite to treat it severely. When Becca and I were dating, I was a, we were teenagers around 14, 15. And I would go over to her parents' house. They would invite me over for dinner uh, pretty often. Now, Becca has a severe dairy allergy. And I mean severe. She's deathly allergic to milk protein. Okay? Milk, cheese, and butter. If it's, po- it's poison to her if you trace it to an udder. That's, my, that's the prime. That's the rhyme I use. If you, if you trace it, yeah. Anyways. Um, it's so severe that if I have butter, if I have butter or if I have cheese, if I have milk and I kiss her, she could have a reaction. She could have an anaphylactic reaction. And so I can't have that. I can't have dairy and milk and cheese unless I'm not going to see her for a little while. And, uh, but but I, I would get invited over to her parents for dinner. And they'd be making meals, and Becca would have a meal without any dairy or butter. Guess what was in mine? Cheese and milk and <laughs> butter and ice cream. There was always ice cream offered at the end of the meal. And I, I, uh, I eventually was catching on. I get it. All right, so you're feeding me, okay, so I don't kiss her. I'm like, oh, that's some tricky, cunning work there, you know? They offered me ice cream because they, did, they wanted to encourage me to not kiss her genius seriously that's genius now most of us have probably heard of um the the stories of the father who's sitting there and shining his shotgun as the daughter brings home the first boyfriend that that you know i i get how that's intimidating but this was some next level stuff they were just pulling out the gorgonzola and the rollo ice cream i had it pretty good i'd rather the ice cream over the shotgun any day no, but seriously, what they did was, was really interesting because rather than threatening me with the old shotgun routine, they welcomed me into their home and they made me understand the severity of her allergy and the risk of putting her uh, in danger if, if, you, if she eats it and if I eat it and I kiss her. And, they, and then they fed me and they would make me now have to take responsibility. They would make me as this young teenager have to understand that this is a life and death thing. They made me have to go and understand that if I... I'm going to say, took liberty, (laughs) then I'd be risking her life. And this is similar to what Christ is teaching us here. He's he's not threatening us. He's He's not pulling the old shotgun routine on us. That's not what he's doing. What he's saying, he's he's inviting us to understand that as we care for others, it should be a matter of life and death that we should consider what maybe, what liberties we're taking, what, um, what freedom we think we have, but we are putting people at risk. We are tempting others. We need to take seriously the leadership of others. And this is not just what leaders we elevate, but self-leadership. No matter who you are, a mother, a father, how you lead into temptation your own children, okay? And, and workers, how you lead, your, uh, lead others into temptation. We need to take it seriously. It's a matter of life and death. Jesus invites us to care for his sheep. Yes, last week it was so good to be reminded that we are to feed the sheep, but we are also to protect the sheep from ourselves sometimes. The next point of depth that Jesus speaks about is forgiveness. Luke 17, look with me again in there. Pay attention yourselves in verse 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. 
And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. You must forgive him. Now, Jesus is comparing the shallow end of Christianity to a deep discipleship. And he's saying that at the shallow end of Christianity, we must understand that there is forgiveness, rebuking and forgiveness of, of those. But then he says, let's just go a little bit further. Let's go further and understand that even if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, in other passages, it even says 70 times seven as, as it's talking about forgiveness. He's saying, we don't just offer second chances. We go into the idea of unlimited forgiveness, limitless forgiveness. See, the world believes in second chances. The whole world does believe in second chances. You watch any TV show, America's Got Talent or whatever, things like that, you'll see there's a second chances opportunity. Movies, heroes always have this thing where they lose to the villain, almost lose to the villain once, and then they get to conquer the villain later on. What Jesus is saying is that this is... Jesus is not here to just only offer us a second chance. I'm so glad he didn't only offer me one second chance, but unlimited forgiveness. I have messed up, and I will continue to mess up, and that's not because I'm not willing to fight against sin. It's just the reality. We will struggle. Well, when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, he died for every sin of yours and mine. He died for our past sins and our current ones, and even the ones yet we, that we have not committed. And this is such good news. This is such good news for you and me. I don't know what, what you're coming in with today. I don't know the people you're interacting with, but I can tell you that one of the most common realities that we face is the reality of guilt. Guilt. Guilt and this feeling that, that I've gone too far. I, I, God will never forgive me. I've been way too bad. Or I, I'll never get it together. No matter how scared and sure you are that you will fail again, no matter how far gone you feel this morning, no matter how bad you've ever been, Jesus Christ meets you there and says, I will die for you. I love you. I love you so much that I will die for you and I will have victory over the grave for your sake. That's unlimited forgiveness. That's an unlimited love. And his point in this passage is that we are to offer forgiveness unlimited a limitless forgiveness. And this is so counter to the, what the world teaches. And this is so counter to even what our inner man desires sometimes. We struggle with this because Satan tells us, if you forgive people, they'll just hurt you again. If you forgive people, this is what Satan says. He says, if you forgive people, he accuses us that we're going to be weak, that we're going to be doormats. But that's not what we see. We worry that we will become a victim, that people will walk all over us. But the reality is that we've been forgiven of so much by Jesus Christ, by God. And when he forgives us, when we receive that forgiveness, we don't call Jesus victim. We call him victor. That the one who offers unlimited forgiveness to you and I, we don't call him doormat. We call him king. Committing to a life of forgiving others is not an invitation to abuse. It's not an it's not it's it's freedom. It's freedom from being tied down to another person. It's freedom from looking back. It's freedom from missing out. It's freedom from keeping count of other things. Jesus Christ forgave us with unlimited forgiveness and so that we can offer that to others. Have you ever heard of this thing FOMO? Fear of missing out? 
It's a kind of a newer term in the last couple of years, fear of missing out. It's this anxiety that you're not up to date on what's going on in the latest, and whether it's important things, maybe it's political or financial news or whatever, or maybe it's a lesser thing, as I would say, like financial, oh, sorry, like, like style or pop culture. Before we had instant phones, before we had things that could beep us and tell us what's going on every second of the day, we used to, uh, we used to not have phones. So let me take you a little bit back in time. And uh, I know I'm not that old, so I can't take you that far. But I'm going to take you a little bit back in time before there was cell phones. And you used to just say, I'm going somewhere. I'll call you when I get there. <laughs> not, you can track me all the way there. Not, I'll text you at the next gas station and stop. Okay, not like, here's what I'm having for dinner. All right, you used to go, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I'll call you when I get there. It could be hours. It could be days. There's a legend in my family, on, the, on my mom's side of the family, there's a apparent legend that, that one of my great-great-grandparents went to his wife and said, I'm going out to the outhouse, I'll be back in a few. And then he hopped on a boat, <laughs> he came to Canada, and he got a job, and he sent her mail, and he said, bring the kids, I got us a new home. <laughs> that's the legend, I'm not sure what really happened, but that's the reality. You just think, you, like, you would go somewhere, and you'd hope to get a message back, Right? And that was before we would have this fear of missing out where we would have this phone and we'd put it in our pocket and we're waiting on every buzz and, and, and every little vibrate and we're like, oh, oh yeah, okay, I got a message. Oh, and we're so excited. In fact, there's some people who even report that they have what's called, have you heard of these? Phantom vibrations. Have you heard of this? If you put your pocket in your, it's this feeling and thought that your, your, your nerves and your legs actually give off a sensation thinking you just got a message and your brain goes, oh, I got a message. You pick up your phone, you're like, there's nothing there. It's because your body is waiting on something. You're so anxiously waiting on a message, on a phone call, on an update, that you're, and you're so fearful of missing out that your body is now hitting you with nerve reactions. It's crazy. Listen, this is what we do with people when it comes to forgiveness. We put people in our pocket. We put them nice and close. We put them really close because we're fearful. We're fearful of getting hurt again. We're fearful of, 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 of cheapening the pain of what we went through. We're fearful of condoning someone's behavior. We're fearful. And so rather than forgive them and release them, we keep them in our pocket, just a little imaginary picture in our pocket that we can post up one day and just throw darts at. We keep people close and we're tied down to them and they're always on us and we're so attached and we have these phantom feelings of sensations of, of hurt and pain because we can't forgive. This is a real struggle. I, I would say this is probably the hardest aspect. I regularly find this is the, the hardest point for so many people. And for me, in my walk with the Lord, forgiving others. It's a risk to forgive others. I get that. But what we see is that we see it frees us. And I can't tell you how long is this going to take? All right, you get out of here. I forgive you. <laughs> I can't tell you how much of kingdom work in, in ministry and, and in church life and, and, and being and meeting with people in moments of, of, of despair and difficult times where I found that forgiveness was really where we saw the length of our anchor, the length of the rope on our anchor, how far we're really willing to go. Maybe we weren't going, willing to go any deeper. The inability to forgive leaders, the inability to forgive congregants who have hurt you, either by things they said or did or by things they didn't say or do. I've heard that story. I went in and no one fully embraced me and so I left and I was sad and, and, and it breaks my heart. 
It does break my heart to hear people who have been hurt within the church, by the church, by, both in leadership and, and in large gatherings and, and in small ways. And it does break my heart. But the reality is we need to forgive so many churches end up as these little boats spinning in circles, one group on one side rowing in one direction and the other rowing in the other because they can't forgive. This is where we find church splits and where we find issues of discipleship because we've come to a point where we said, I can't forgive any further. I can't go any further. People can't, we can't put a limit on it. In fact, the only thing that Jesus really says when it comes to the limit, limit of forgiveness is he, he says the Father will forgive as far as we've forgiven others. And that's a scary reality that we must consider. What could be accomplished? What freedom could we have in, as the bride, as a church here in Kelowna? What freedom could we have within our families and our marriages if we would embrace forgiveness? And I'm not going to pretend it's light and easy. But if we chased after forgiveness, if we chased after it and sought to restore relationships... I believe we could see amazing power within our lives if we could go deeper in offering forgiveness to others. So let's go after that by the power of Jesus Christ. The next point that Christ addresses and he calls us deeper in is faith. To which Jesus replies, the, the, sorry, the, the disciples say, hey, increase our faith, Jesus. And he replies, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, then you could tell this tree to move and be planted in the ocean and it would. And it's interesting because they are asking for something bigger. Increase it, Jesus. Increase my faith. And Jesus refers to a mustard seed, which was tiny. In all the other gospels, it's referred to as something incredibly small. And Jesus is saying, it's not about the size of your faith. They go, increase our faith. And Jesus says, it's not about the size. Because Jesus says, it's about the power. You see, in the shallow end of our faith, in our spiritual infancy, we want to have a bigger faith. We want Christ to give us a, a bigger faith, a bigger religiosity, a bigger look. But it's not about the size and the look of our faith. He tells us to seek after a faith that's, a faith that's powerful. We need to desire a faith that's not based on the size of our religiosity, but based on the power and the person of Jesus Christ. Let's just quickly look uh, at the, uh, the type of faith that Jesus commends in the gospel. Matthew 8.10, there's the centurion, and Jesus is interacting with the centurion, and he says, I, I have the authority to tell my men to go here and go there, and they do it. Similarly, he relied on the authority of Jesus, and Jesus commends his faith. In Matthew 9.2, the friends, with, they bring their, their friend on their mat, and they bring him, they break it through the, the, the ceiling, and they drop him lower so that he can reach Jesus. And so many people preach this sermon on a sermon as persistence. It's not a sermon on persistence. Jesus does not commend their persistence. You want to know what he commends? Their faith. It's not about their ability to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. It's about their faith in the Jesus they bring him to. The woman bleeding in Matthew 9.20, she, she goes and she just wants to touch his garment because she had faith in the power that flowed out of Jesus. The woman uh, who is the Gentile who speaks about, that's okay, who speaks about dogs and crumbs, she goes to Jesus and Jesus, Jesus uh, commends her faith because she has faith in the fact that Jesus is the Messiah over everyone, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles in the world. And it goes on and on and on that people continue to put their faith in him, in his power, his authority, his sovereignty, his preciousness, his worthiness of praise. 
He commends those whose faith is in him and not in themselves. The difference between a shallow Christianity and a deep discipleship is that we have to stop believing in the power of Christianity. We need to believe in the power of Jesus. How often are we discipling people and training them and teaching them to have Christian values instead of having Christ? It's a danger. It's a temptation. It's why when we preach, we continue to call people to surrender their lives to to Jesus Christ first because if you try to put into practice all the values of of the Christian faith and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus it will be nothing it'll be powerless it'll be useless so when we disciple people we need to lead them to an authentic personal savior Jesus Christ and the last thing that Jesus speaks about is service look with me in Luke 17 verse 7 Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done what you have been commanded, say we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. John Piper explains it well. He says, the gist is this, that the owner of a slave does not become a debtor to the slave, no matter how much the work the slave does. The meaning is that God will never be yours and my debtor. We are always his debtor, and we will never be able to pay this debt back, nor are we ever meant to. We will never work our way out of debt to a place where God is in our debt. That just does not happen. Yet this is often where we start out in our immaturity and our faith sometimes. We're tempted to twist the idea that God will bless us because we serve him. We, we, we do. We get blessed when we serve the Lord, but not because he owes us. But we get blessed just the same way this servant is blessed when he serves because the owner takes care of him and feeds him and clothes him. But the owner never owes him. The shallow end of Christianity serves God to gain his favor, but the deep end serves because it's our duty. Let's go deeper. The reality is that when we serve God to get something else, it means we're not serving God, we're serving that something else. My kids do this all the time. Tell me, like, Parker says, I'll clean up the toys, and he's looking at the cake as he's telling me, or the treat, or the cookie that he wants. He's like, I'll clean up the toys if you give me the cookie, right? And I'm like, I just want you to clean up the toys because you love me and you love our home and all this kind of stuff. He'll get there. He's only four. (laughs) but the reality is he's got his sights on the cookie he's got his sights on the treat and we do this all the time we get we get our sights on on the blessings we get our sights on this idea of all the 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 material things we can have if we serve god maybe if i join a group then god will give me this and maybe if i go and help out i love how at the end it says uh so you uh does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded There's a part of me that just wanted to come in and say, welcome to Hope Bible Church. We have a thankless ministry. (laughs) But that's not really what he's getting at. He's not saying that we can't say thank you to those who help. It doesn't say we can't say thank you to those who serve and come here at 7 a.m. and and do what they can so that we can have uh, this opportunity to worship the Lord. No, it's not that we can't thank others. The issue is that we are not to expect a thanks, a thanks from Jesus. As, as, if we owe, as if he owes us. We are to serve because we are called. We are served because we are duty-bound to serve. Early on in ministry, I had some pastors and men that come around me, and uh, when you start off in ministry, one of the things I wanted to figure out is, am I going to be doing this for a long time? Am I called? That was the question. 
and uh, this kept coming up, and I would meet with these men. I'd go, how do you figure out if you're called? And they all kind of kept saying the same thing, which wasn't really an encouraging statement. They kept on saying, if there's anything else you might want to go do, go do it. That was what they said. If there's anything else in the world that you might want to go do, go do it. And, and what they meant was this. If, if you're called, you will be burdened and committed. You will, you will want to do nothing else but serve Jesus in this way. Because if you will want to do anything else, you'll, you should end up doing it. And this is not to say everyone is called to ministry, and this is definitely not to say pastors and, and leaders are, are super spiritual or blah, blah, blah. I don't like this plastic pastor stuff that goes on out there. I'm saying that no matter where we serve, whether in, in church environment, in our homes, in our workplaces, no matter which place we are serving in, we are to do it to the glory of God, to the name of Jesus, and not to receive the cookie. We are to do it for the glory of God. We are to do it because we are servants. We have only done our duty. You see, this is the call. This is the call that Jesus calls us to in leadership, in faith, in forgiveness, and in service. We are to go deeper, to go deeper beyond a, a shallow service and to go into deep discipleship. This will prepare our hearts for not only the, the long-distance hard questions of will you stand for Jesus, but even the small and minute ones and the little things of what we watch and what we say and how we live, how we serve. This will determine that we will put Christ first as we Go in pursuit of deeper discipleship, deeper commitment, more sacrificial, a sacred sight of who God is and a hate for sin, a more forgiving walk and and the ability to forgive others. Watch how the current affairs of the world all around us become more and more peripheral, church. Watch how they become peripheral and less of a priority as we put our eyes on Jesus Christ, as we follow him in a deeper discipleship. Watch how our our church will be shaped. Watch how your lives will be shaped. I promise you, You will not be left wanting as you give more over to Jesus Christ. He will continue to bless you in your soul, in your heart. You will find him more and more satisfying. And when we say all to Jesus and when we say he's all I need, it'll become more and more such a deep and rich truth for us. The song that we're going to sing is My Jesus, I Love Thee. And it's a beautiful song, but this is the reality. We, we won't be able to do these things in our own efforts. We won't, wanna, we won't be able to do these things because some checklist. We must love our Jesus more. He must be our Jesus, our Savior, our King of Kings, your personal Savior and Lord. And as you love him, you will follow him. So I encourage you, sing. Maybe close your eyes and don't get distracted by what's going on around you and what's happening, but sing to your Jesus, my Jesus, I love thee and I will follow thee with my life. Let's pray. Lord, we want to go deeper. We want to go deeper for your namesake. We want to go deeper to to cherish you more, to be more satisfied with your name, to be more satisfied with your gospel, to go out with power, not power that is ours from religiosity, but power that is yours because yours is the name above all names. Lord, help us to forgive. As we love you more, help us to forgive others, to hate sin, to lead others away from it. Lead us, O Lord, to live in your likeness, we pray. In your holy and precious name, amen.